Welcome back to the Right Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Pomeroy. Here, I interview fellow professionals and learn about the human beings behind the credentials. You'll be touched by their stories as well as learn from their professional knowledge. Keep listening. The next guest might be the right fit for you. Welcome, Steve. Thank you so much for being willing to meet with me. I'm just thrilled to have you. Of course. I'm happy to be on. Great. Well, I'm just going to give a little bit of an intro as to how I know you and then Mm -hmm. kind of ask you to share a little bit about your story. So so I met you, Steve, through um, participating in a pilot program for CAP, K-A-P, which stands for Ketamine Assisted Psychotherapy. And it was offered to frontline work, frontline healthcare workers that had been dealing with COVID and um, found out about the possibility of being involved in this group and thought it could be a really cool experience. And I had been doing a little bit of research on um, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy mm-hmm. and thought that there were some similarities, which we might talk about, but it just kind of piqued my interest and I applied and got in and was truly a life-changing experience. And I don't even say that lightly. I feel like it has been awesome. And I did it in November. It's been almost five months. So it's been a little bit of time and I still am reaping the rewards from it. So just thought it would be so awesome to talk with you today and um, kind of maybe get some basic information and answer some basic questions, because I know it's kind of a new um, kind of upcoming thing or well, not upcoming ketamine's been around a while, but it's becoming more and popular, more and more popular. I have clients coming in and asking me about it. And so I'd love to just kind of have a conversation with you about it today, but um, okay. So Steve, tell me a little bit about you and how you even got to the point of working with ketamine. Yeah. Thanks. Again, thank you for the opportunity to be on here. I it's ketamine assisted psychotherapy, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. This work is really important to me. So I'm always looking for opportunities to talk about it. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist. My name is Steve Bayer. Um, I was trained at, um, at Brigham Young university. That's where I got my bachelor's and my PhD in, in clinical psychology. And I, uh, started my career as a psychologist in the Air Force. So clinical psychologists have to do a one-year internship or residency to finish out their training. And I did mine with the military because they were often a pretty good gig, a good deal. Um, so I did that and I found out pretty quickly that uh, active duty military life wasn't for me. I, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't thrilled about being owned by the Department of Defense. So, but yeah. I did, I did make some, you know, great friendships and I got to, um, you know, develop an appreciation for the kinds of things that the people who serve our country in the military go through and the problems they develop as a result. So I got exposed to a lot of great, uh, training in treating post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma and the stressors that are typical of military life. So I appreciated those experiences, but as soon as my, my service commitment was up, I got out of there. So I left the military Mm -hmm. and came back to Utah where my parents were, wanted to be close to them. And Mm -hmm. I decided to kind of jump to the other end of the spectrum. So I was working, you know, for the military in this giant bureaucracy. And I decided instead to just join a small group practice where I had lots of independence. Right. Which was cool. So started seeing lots of clients. So, you know, if, if any of your listeners are clinicians, um, 
I was seeing a lot of clients and I was starting to get a little burned out. Uh, I'm passionate about being a therapist and about helping people. Um, but therapists are just people, you know, we're just human beings. And so uh, I was starting to feel burned out. And at the time I was looking just, you know, I try to keep my ear close to the research on new and exciting ways to be helpful and was hearing a lot back in 2017 or so about psychedelics and, um, did a little bit of research and discovered that, uh, this, this medicine ketamine fell into this broad category of psychedelics and was currently legal as a treatment on an off-label treatment for depression. So I found kind of the only place at the time in Utah doing ketamine treatment, contacted them and started learning more about it and eventually got a job with that organization. Um, it was something else named something else back when I was, you know, first in contact with them, but, uh, but uh, now it's called Cedar Psychiatry, owned by a larger parent company, Nova Mind. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just developed this interest in psychedelic assisted therapy and finally got to work with the medicine. I got to experience the medicine myself as a treatment for my own um, intermittent depression and was just amazed at what it yeah. did and what it can do. Um, and I've decided to pivot my career and, and focus a lot of what I do on both researching and uh, you know, researching psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, providing it via ketamine, and then teaching other clinicians how to do it. Yeah, so cool. Um, I'm curious, like, what about the research really struck you as you were looking into, you know, kind of keeping your eye on the research? What struck you about psychedelic psychotherapy? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the reasons I was experiencing burnout as a therapist was I didn't feel like for a lot of my clients that I could help them help themselves in a way that was satisfying to me and to them, right? Psychotherapy is tremendously helpful to a lot of people, uh, but we know that it's it's uh, it doesn't help everybody, that's for sure, and it falls short in a lot of really important ways. So I'm always trying to look for current research on new ways to help people help themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I, so I come across this psychedelic assisted therapy research, and the results are kind of blowing my mind. I'll give you an example. So. Mm-hmm. MAPS is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They're an organization um, created by a guy named Rick Doblin that has been around for a long time, but has recently finally been given permission by the government to, to study certain psychedelic medicines in earnest. Mm-hmm. And they were reporting some phase two clinical trial data on MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. So MDMA is the active ingredient in sort of the recreational drug ecstasy. Okay. Um, or Molly, I think. Mm-hmm. It tends to produce feelings of euphoria and closeness and openness and you know, pleasant emotional states, those kinds of things, which makes it a popular recreational drug. But when used in the proper context with proper preparation, with psychotherapy, with guidance from trained guides or facilitators, they discovered that it was really helpful for things like post-traumatic stress disorder. And what they, so these, these this study was about people who had had basically what we call treatment resistant PTSD. These are people who've had lots of medicines, who've had lots of therapy, still have very significant system symptoms. And they found that uh, close to 70% of participants after treatment, the protocol, the MDMA assisted therapy protocol, no longer met diagnostic criteria for PTSD. Well, wow. that like, that just doesn't happen in psychotherapy research. Yeah. 70%. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and these are, I mean, and then there's another large percentage of those people who maybe they still met diagnostic criteria and, but experience symptom reduction. So, I mean, closest thing to a cure <laughs> that we've yeah. come up with for something like PTSD so far. So that caught my eye and I was like, oh my gosh, how do I get involved in this stuff? So that's when I was, you know, doing more research and discovered that unless I wanted to, you know, get involved in clinical trials, work for a place like MAPS, uh, if I really wanted to work with a psychedelic medicine that is currently in use, I needed to work with ketamine. And so that's what brought me to Cedar Psychiatry, you know, Cedar later purchased by Nova Mind so we could expand because they were doing ketamine assisted therapy. Uh, right. So ketamine, it's under the umbrella of psychedelics, would you say? And it's, it's currently legal and mm -hmm. completely safe to use now, whereas these other other psychedelics are still being researched. Is that right? Yeah. So I'll make a, a few caveats to those statements. Uh, nothing is completely safe, right? We, mm -hmm. you, you can't even drink water and not guarantee that it can't hurt you. So um, ketamine is not for everybody. Mm -hmm. For some people, uh, like if you have, let's say high blood pressure, for example, ketamine causes sort of interstitial changes in blood pressure. So we typically wouldn't give it to somebody who's a stroke patient or somebody who has a history of high blood pressure that's uncontrolled. Mm -hmm. um, ketamine causes an, what we call an altered state of consciousness, a dreamlike out-of-body experience. If you have a dissociative condition like DID or a psychotic illness like schizophrenia, we don't really want to pull levers on your consciousness or your perception of reality a whole lot. Sure. There's, there's some anecdotal evidence that psychedelic experiences for people who are susceptible to psychotic illness, let's say you have schizophrenia in your family, there's some anecdotal evidence that uh, psychedelic use has triggered your first psychotic break, for example. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it is, ketamine is remarkably safe. We can use it with a lot of people. It's, a, it's on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines as an anesthetic. Like it's been used for decades. Right. We know a lot about it in the medical field. So it mm -hmm. is very safe, but of course, not 100% safe and not for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And then let me back up and talk a little bit about psychedelics, that sort of broad container that we're yeah, calling please. psychedelics generally. So the word psychedelic, um, you know, coined back in the 60s, it's a combination of two sort of Greek words, meaning uh, the mind and then to manifest. So psyche meaning the mind and delos to meaning to manifest or bring into consciousness. So mind manifesting is often what we're talking about with psychedelics. And it applies to, like I said, a lot of different medicines, but typically people think of magic mushrooms or psilocybin containing mushrooms as a psychedelic or LSD. Yeah. Um, right. Or uh, you have these um, ibogaine, peyote, uh, ayahuasca, the dimethyltryptamine, these ancient plants that have been used by indigenous peoples for generations for rites of passage or for healing or for spiritual connection. Um, so it's things that can be found uh, in the earth that have been used for thousands of years or things that we've created in a lab in the last couple of decades all fall into this broad category that we're calling psychedelics. But they all tend to cause this altered state of consciousness, which can be perceptual, meaning your sensations, your vision, uh, your hearing changes in odd ways or novel ways. And then they often cause uh, changes in emotional state or perception of time. People will talk about sort of being in the eternal now or time dilation and expansion. They'll talk about... Um, 
you know, alterations in perception of self or ego disillusionment, meaning that there's the, the idea that I am, a, I am a person and that other people are people, this, yeah. this split, this dualism sort of mm-hmm. disappears and we mm-hmm. are all one. So there's the stereotype of the psychedelic hippie who's, you know, going around hugging trees and stuff because they're, they're one <laughs> right. with the universe. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. To somebody that has not, um, kind of been in contact with any of this, I imagine this sounds a little bit strange. What do you say yeah. to those, those people? I'm sure you encounter those people that are like, what is this? This sounds completely wacko. Yeah, of course. Well, and some people will, will even go a little bit further and say, this is dangerous. You're talking about yeah. illegal substances, schedule one substances. Right. Of course, all the research that's being done is being done with FDA approval and, um, you know, DEA licenses and things like that. But I kind of, I like to take people back to the context under which they learned that these medicines were bad or that these drugs mm. were bad. Yeah. And typically it's um, those of us who were raised during the war on drugs, the war on yeah, drugs totally. started back in the seventies and kind of in reaction to this uh, psychedelic awakening occasioned by mm-hmm. people like uh, Timothy Leary and, and uh, Ram Dass or Richard Alpert, these Harvard psychologists. Um, yeah. And we were, I remember watching commercials like this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs. It's yeah. Totally. The egg. The egg. Yeah. The frying pan. Right the dare mm-hmm. program we were taught to be really really afraid of certain certain compounds but then go to your doctor and get a prescription for opiates one of the most addictive things in the world and you're not you're taught not to think twice about it so um mm-hmm. i like to help people just explore why they have those reactions you know where they learned that these things were bad um and then reassure them that you know, if I was, if, if I was coming to you from the woods, if I had emerged from the woods, you know, with dirt on my face and mushrooms in my hand and with wide eyes and giant pupils and said, Hey, you should come and eat these mushrooms. Uh, they'll help you see God and solve all your problems. I would Mm -hmm. understand you being skeptical, but you know, we are studying these medicines with the rigors of empirical science and, Mm -hmm. you know, placebo controlled trials and all the government regulation you can imagine. And we're discovering that they're really, really helpful. So again, you should be cautious. You should be thoughtful and careful about an approach, any medicine, including a psychedelic. Um, But I invite people to sort of question their assumptions and open themselves up to the possibility that, you know, one of the reasons we haven't been studying these drugs for the last 50 years was because of a decision made by people who aren't medical professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, made by government lobbyists. Yeah. It gives me a little bit of um, comfort knowing that there's, there's some sort of assessment, right? Some sort of like health assessment. Do you mm-hmm. have high blood pressure? What is your family history to at least be able to say, okay, at least a medical professional is involved in that. Um, so that that's helpful, but it is up to the person to decide if this is something that there that's worth investigating and something that might be helpful for, for them. So how can somebody even go to the place of like, could this be helpful for me? Who, who does this help? Great questions. So let's talk about ketamine specifically, since that's what we can offer here at Cedar psychiatry is ketamine assisted therapy. We, we have um, a research arm, a clinical research arm called uh, Cedar clinical research, where we're doing clinical trials on things like psilocybin and hopefully other medicines in the future. Um, and people can go to cedarclinicalresearch.com and 
look at all the clinical trials we're doing if you want to perhaps participate in a clinical trial mm -hmm. on something like this. But if you wanted ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, we would we typically do it for the following problems, certainly for depression. That's probably where the most research exists currently on ketamine for depression. Then you have uh, obsessive compulsive disorder or other disorders on that sort of obsessive compulsive side of the spectrum of the mind. So eating disorders, phobias, um, people who have just uh, have a hard time letting go of control. Mm -hmm. There's some indications that it can work for post-traumatic stress disorder for PTSD. Um, there have been a few sort of anecdotal reports of ketamine sort of exacerbating some aspects of PTSD, but that's typically when it's not done in the context of psychotherapy, okay. um, which I'll explain that distinction in a second, but certainly depression, sometimes anxiety disorders, um, not bipolar disorder. If mania is present, you know, if you're in a depressive episode and you have bipolar disorder, then sometimes ketamine can be indicated mm -hmm. sometimes for PTSD, certainly not for psychotic disorders. Um, and, you know, eating disorders, grief. Um, yeah, those are kind of the big ones. Yeah. So just to kind of add a little bit of a personal experience to that, um, my, the, the changes that I noticed mostly were with depression and anxiety. I was able to go off of my antidepressant that I'd been on on and off for the last decade plus, oh, that's incredible. Um, which is, I mean, huge, right? Like, like this, like I said, life-changing. And I would say that next to that, I would say it was, it's a spiritual transformation. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I think that because there was the spiritual shift, that's actually what helped my depression and anxiety. And so it's interesting that they're doing research on things that are so spiritual. Yeah. That's cool to hear you describe it that way because mm -hmm. psychedelics have a long history of, uh, connection to this, the spiritual world, to spiritual yeah. beliefs. Uh, in fact, another term that's been used to describe psychedelics is entheogen, which is, mm -hmm. you know, connection with deity, with God. Yeah. Um, I know other terms are like intactogen, meaning it helps you come into contact with your inner world or mm -hmm. empathogen. Empathogen is one that's often used to refer to MDMA. Um, you know, it's something that generates empathy. In yeah. fact, some of the earlier studies on, there's this famous study that they called the Good Friday experiment where they used psilocybin to uh, run an experiment with uh, seminary students. These are people, you know, field theology students. Right. And uh, most of them reported after their experience that it was like top five religious spiritual experiences of their lives and strengthened, you know, their, their commitment to God. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting, you know, you find people with strong religious backgrounds who will use psychedelics whose faith is affirmed or, you know, made flexible or it's helped them break through a spiritual barrier of some kind. And then you have people who have no particular religious beliefs. Yeah. Um, for whom a psychedelic experience has helped put them in touch with what we might call the divine or at least with uh, the transpersonal, the things that are outside mm -hmm. of oneself. So describing it as a spiritual experience is, a, is, is, I would say it's a pretty common description that people would yeah. use. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think that's a really powerful way of um, healing and something that has just made me so excited, got me so excited. Another way that I've kind of looked at it is like 
it's almost like the ketamine experiences were like a little window mm-hmm. into seeing what it was like to, to live in a different space, live in a place that I feel more connected to myself, to the people around me, to the divine. And um, it's been really important. Um, and I think I'd like to kind of kind of visit this as well. Really important, the integration Like it gave me a snapshot, but it wasn't necessarily what did the changing, if that makes sense. And so it, it basically, I feel like it gave me the motivation or the interest or the desire to start really diving into things like spiritual readings and meditation and prayer and these things that I knew actually already were connecting in nature really gave me the desire to do that. Um, is that something that you commonly see? Talk to me about integration and the importance of that. Yeah. Integration is really important. So I'll back up a few steps. I I mentioned that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a couple of ways ketamine is used to treat depression in particular. One is I call the psychiatric approach. And that is you would go into an office, um, you'd sit in a comfortable chair, they'd administer ketamine, you'd have your experience, and then you'd go home with maybe very little direction on what to do next. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of a take two of these and call me in the morning approach. And a lot of people benefit from Mm -hmm. that approach. The thing is though, that the, the neurological effects, neurochemical effects that ketamine has that make it a good antidepressant don't last that long. You know, they last Mm -hmm. a couple of days, sometimes a couple of weeks. If you do, you know, um, a lot of ketamine, if you follow a particular protocol where Mm -hmm. you're doing maybe like two treatments a week for six weeks, that's yeah. a common, common protocol. Sometimes those antidepressant effects can last a lot longer, but um, it doesn't change your brain all by itself. Mm-hmm. We prefer to use um, this sort of psychedelic or psycholytic approach where we're giving ketamine in a variety of doses in conjunction with psychotherapy. Because what we find is that ketamine will loosen sort of the boundaries we've created around our emotions. They'll help us access memories that might be repressed. Um, they might help us think creatively about our problems mm-hmm. where we've been mm-hmm. stuck before. And as a therapist, you hear that stuff and you salivate like, oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, that's, like, amazing. that's, that's <laughs> the, the malleable mind state I want my clients to be in so that we can help them get better. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to take advantage of those malleable mind states if you don't have guidance. So as a, as a clinician, as a, you know, a ketamine assisted psychotherapist or ketamine enhanced psychotherapist, What I'm looking to do is take advantage of the medicine's effects to help clients understand their problems and accomplish their goals, you know, make the changes they want to make. And that's really what integration looks like. So what can we do at home between sessions? What can we talk about in the therapy sessions where we're not using ketamine to make sense of what happened during your ketamine experience and make changes as a result of what happened? So Mm -hmm. there are certain daily practices that tend to be really great for integration and they won't surprise your listeners. They're kind of the same daily practices that you would get suggested by any therapist for anything. Like let's have you journal. Let's have you Mm -hmm. have a daily contemplative practice like meditation. Let's have you out and about moving your body and exercising. Let's have you connecting to people who, you know, lift you up and don't tear you down. Uh, Let's have you practice being present with emotions and following triggers all the way down to their source, right? There's a lot of the same stuff we would do in therapy that's just enhanced by the the presence of ketamine. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so the actual medicine ketamine can be used differently. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people choose to not even use it in conjunction with psychotherapy. Right. But one of the way that I experienced it was um, there was group therapy involved. Um, you helped me integrate, you know, the sessions, the um, maybe we can talk about like, what are some of the things people even experience on ketamine? Cause as I'm sitting here saying, like I had kind of some dreamlike visions and mm-hmm. memories come through um, some just really powerful images that I still draw on of being connected to my lineage and my ancestry that helps me feel stronger in my worth. Um, so some really powerful things, but what do people, what are some common experiences that people have when they use ketamine? Yeah, I'm happy to explain those. There is a kind of, you had to be there sentiment when you're trying to explain (laughs) what it's like to be on ketamine, Mm -hmm. um, because it's a full embodied experience. So this is an experiential treatment and words can only do so much, so much to convey what it's like. Um, because you were mentioning earlier that, you know, you, you talk to people about these consciousness altering medicines and they're like, what the heck? This sounds really weird. Yeah. So to, to the uninitiated, everything you just described might sound a little bizarre to them connected to your lineage. Like what the heck? What does that even mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but the ketamine experience is, so ketamine is sometimes called the dissociative anesthetic in high, high doses. They use it for surgery, put people mm-hmm. under for surgery and lower dose and lower doses. It's a good analgesic. It's a good painkiller. So we try to use a dose where you're not, you know, your thoughts don't completely stop like we would do for surgery. We're using a dose that's somewhere in, in, in this sort of what I call psycho psycholytic or psychedelic realm. So your consciousness is just altered enough to accomplish the effects I discussed earlier. So what does it feel like? People often report an out of body experience that can mean, you know, that their ego or this of the identity that is them is removed from their body and they're observing their body from a distance. It could mean um, their body has dissolved and they have no body and they're floating around. That's what makes it a sort of dreamlike. Mm-hmm. People will experience time dilation. So, you know, they'll be disconnected from earth time. It'll feel like you've been in a moment for an eternity. Um, sometimes it's very visionary. It can be like walking through a very vivid dream and you'll see colors and scenes and people and personages. And um, sometimes it can be really bizarre. We typically use music to guide the experience. Mm-hmm. So somebody might be in a comfortable chair with eye shades on to promote an inward journey and headphones with a curated playlist. And music being very emotionally evocative will sort of create chapters in the experience. You'll have a song that's creating some of these visuals or, or symbolic content or what have you. And then the song changes and all of a sudden the emotion tone of your experience changes. You go for, goes from being euphoric to being maybe a little dark. And now you're exploring some of the things that are harder, harder for you to confront during your conscious hours. Um, Sometimes people, like I said, it can be euphoric. Sometimes it can be a little anxiety provoking. Mm -hmm. Uh, We typically give ketamine via intramuscular injection. So like a shot in the shoulder, like a flu shot. And we deliver it that way for a variety of reasons. But uh, one of the effects it tends to have is that your induction into the ketamine experience is kind of quick. So yeah. you experience both that and sublingual administration, right? We squirted, right. squirted the ketamine in your mouth. It tastes terrible. And <laughs> it tastes terrible. Hold it there for 10 plus minutes. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's generally kind of a gentler induction into ketamine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So you know, we the way that I would eyes. describe that, the way I would describe that is like the holding it in your mouth is just like a gen of a slow relaxation. Mm-hmm. And when I got it in the arm, it felt like I took off in an airplane. It was yeah. like, yeah, like my body just kind of sunk back and it was, I, I kind of went to that place. So yes. And fast within 60 seconds, I would say. Yeah. And that's a, that's people use often use that metaphor, an airplane, mm-hmm. a rocket ship, you know, a roller coaster. It's because it's, yeah. it does feel kind of like you're being propelled into this alternate state. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, so it look, can look different how they administer it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has an effect on the experience as well. It sounds like. Right. Yeah. yeah. And people, sometimes they'll be very quiet and still during their experience. Sometimes people will be vocal. Sometimes they'll even be ambulatory. They'll move. Um, sometimes those movements seem fairly random, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're representative of what the person is going through. I remember we had a client who um, had an eating disorder, was an obsessive runner. And during her experience, her legs started pumping. You know, and mm. she couldn't really explain to us during the experience what was going on. But afterward, as she reflected on the experience, she mentioned that uh, she was trying to run away, trying to mm-hmm. run away from the problems. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, the reflecting back. Um, like there's the ex- having the actual experience and the reflecting back on and making sense of what you experienced. And I felt like that was a really important part as well, like especially at the higher doses, it was like, whoa, what in the world was that? You know, like hard to even describe it and put it, put words around it. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, having, having you assist and facilitate that you were able to give me some words that maybe kind of held that experience in a way that I could um, make it important or help it have some meaning to me that I revisit often. I I would say I, I think about, my ketamine experience still on a daily basis. Wow. It's still, it's still that whatever was, um, the things that were brought up are, I bring to memory often. How do you revisit it, Michelle? Do you have a journaling practice? Is it just sort of spontaneous? What, what are you doing to revisit it? Yeah, I think that it's a mix of structured and spontaneous, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have really incorporated, incorporated a consistent meditation practice that includes journaling. So it's kind of both things, um, kind of journal what, what's happening before I meditate, what, and then journal what happened during meditation or even insights that I had after meditation. Um, and there were just some, some really big truth nuggets, I would say, that I found through the ketamine experience. Um, things like appreciation for my depression part Mm. and like what, what it can actually offer me that it allows me to go deep as an individual allows me to feel deeply. Um, so when I'm in that depression, having some appreciation for that part, you know, that can really just help me know that it, it won't always be there. And that there's value even in that, even in the thing that caused me so much suffering and a lot of things around worth, a lot of things around, um, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like a lonely individual floating through life as much anymore mm-hmm. um, because I just feel more connected to um, others, more connected to kind of my purpose. Um, 
And the meditation has facilitated that because right. it, it, it helps you in, in that um, you were talking about like the dualism, or I don't know exactly how that, how they say that, but mm-hmm. the subject object and, and meditation kind of can put you in a similar state I have found. Mm-hmm. But again, I wouldn't know is like ketamine gave me the window. It's the, re- the reference point. Like when I meditate, I can go back there. It's something to go back to. And that's something I really appreciate. A lot of wonderful things you said that I yeah. want to sort of highlight. So yeah. um, ketamine being the window or showing you an emotional and mental state that was maybe hard for you to experience otherwise. And then on your way out, I like to use this analogy of leaving breadcrumbs. So mm-hmm. you leave the breadcrumbs on your way out of the experience because it doesn't last forever. Yeah. And then integration is a task of following the breadcrumbs back to the insights, to the experience as often as you can. And they've done, you know, brain scans on um, experienced meditators. And they've seen that the, the brain states that an experienced meditator can get themselves into are very similar to the brain states caused by certain psychedelic medicines or by other things like holotropic breath work. You know, there are certain mm-hmm. breathing practices that can put you in an altered state of consciousness, similar to psychedelics. We have the capacity within us to get there to yeah. some extent. These medicines, I hate to call them a shortcut because that implies you don't have to do work. You definitely have to do work, but um, they're an accelerator of that learning yeah. process. So wanted to highlight that. You also mentioned some themes that I hear from a lot of people after, you know, when they've done ketamine-assisted therapy, and that is increased connection, yeah. not only connection with you know, humans in your life or the world or God, but connection with self. Yeah. You, know, you, you were able to look at that depressed part in a different way. I've found that, that ketamine really helps with self-loathing. It, it helps with, um, you know, I had another client with uh, some really, really significant body image issues and hated her body. And she mentioned that on, uh, on ketamine was the first time she was able to look at her body with appreciation and love for what it had given her and carried her through. Yeah. You know, and that, and that went away, like her, her, her self-critic came back online hard after ketamine, yeah. but she had felt it and she created mm-hmm. some, you know, some, what would you call it? Like experiential memory there. Totally. Yeah. I, I, the experience, the experiential part is, it felt so important. And I had this, this kind of thought, like the stories that I live on, live in about myself, right. Those um, kind of live limiting self stories those came through experience. Those Mm -hmm. came, they were built because I had experience and I felt like the best way to unbuild them or to take them apart was also through experience. Right. Right. And so far doing that on a cognitive level is very different than actually feeling my entire body being part of that process. Right. It's why we like to pair ketamine with experiential type therapies. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it does great pairing it with something like cognitive behavioral therapy. I love CBT. I do it a lot. Yeah. Um, it just seems that uh, you can take greater advantage, advantage of ketamine's effects with something like EMDR or internal family systems or emotion right. focused therapy or somatic experiencing something that's more experiential. Right. Yeah. It's, I think that was a huge part for me. Who do you see? 
Oh, sorry. I was going to say another thing that you experienced that's a little bit different is you did ketamine in a group setting. Yes. Right? One of the reasons we wanted to offer this, uh, what we called frontline cap, frontline ketamine assisted therapy to frontline healthcare workers who'd been affected by COVID mm-hmm. was we just recognized that this was a group of humans that was doing a lot to help others at their own expense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nurses were getting applauded, but that's about it. Right. So, um, you know, there's something about, you know, you know, this as a therapist who's run groups, like there's something about the cohesion and camaraderie in a well uh, organized, like a well-structured group, a group where you've taken pains to make sure the composition is right. Uh, there's something that a group member can give you or an experience in a group that can give you that like a, a therapist one-on-one really can't. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what was the, the experience of doing this in a group like for you? Yeah, it was very cool to do it in a group because to be able to hear other people's um, really significant experiences um, made it that much more powerful. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, like, and to, and to be in a group where I think I felt maybe a little less crazy, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, just to have the feeling like, okay, other people are having a hard time. COVID has been hard. It's been hard on a lot of us and yeah. burnout is real. And so that part, but also just the because the ketamine was such a different experience. I had never used substances before this. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had been on painkillers and things in the past, but never used substances recreationally. And so this was, there was definitely anxiety going into this. How would I even respond to substances like this? Um, And so just to, just to have other people there experiencing it right alongside me, just helped me feel a little safer um, had me have a little bit of some like reference points of, you know, people be like, Oh, that happened to me too. Like in the ketamine treatment. Oh, I experienced something very similar when I'm trying to put words to this, like folding sensation. And somebody's like, yes, folding, that is the word. That's what I, that's what it felt like. You know, it just made it, it felt very affirming, like, okay. Like this experience, even though it's odd, Israel is powerful. Um, and really amazing to hear their experiences of change and, and it, I don't know, felt, um, kind of inspiring, hopeful, even to just hear from them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things I love about offering this in a group setting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does, uh, Cedar psychiatry, are they offering groups in that way right now? We've got a few groups, yeah, that we're offering. Um, in fact, you can just go to Cedar Psychiatry. I think it's forward slash groups. Um, you can go to the website and click on the link to groups. We're offering psychedelic integration groups. So that's for anybody who's experienced ketamine treatment or who's, who's experienced the psychedelic experience uh, in any context. Like if you're doing it in the woods with your buddies and you just want some harm reduction, you want some help with integration, we want to make sure we're helping people. So that group is, is an open group to anybody who wants help integrating psychedelics. And then we have some other regular psychotherapy groups. But um, this Frontline Cap pilot project that you were a part of, we're working to make it a regular commercial offering. Meaning Mm. it it was uh, just sort of a pilot project experiment. And we're we're working in the next several months to move it into um, something that we offer regularly. So if people are interested in participating, they can go to novamind.ca 
forward slash frontline dash cap. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the website where you would sign up to participate or learn about the project. That's awesome. Yeah, I think it, it will do a lot of good for a lot of people. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's the hope. And if, if people want to learn more about, you know, just the psychedelic medicine, about what we're doing at Cedar Nova Mind, um, I host a podcast with my colleague, Dr. Reed Robison. He's the, the one who ran the group with me, with you. Yes. And he's a psychiatrist. He's our chief medical officer, very experienced researcher and clinician um, with a variety of things, but uh, ketamine and psychedelics being the foremost. And so he and I host a podcast called Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers. And we have you know the website, psychedelictherapyfrontiers.com, or you can listen to us on any platform, including YouTube. Yeah, I highly recommend it. I love that there's an entire podcast devoted to this because it's such a big topic and you do so well. I'm a very consistent listener you do so <laughs> well, um, you know, breaking down these things and talking about them. I mean, we touched, we just scratched the surface here today, which I really appreciate you doing that with me. Um, any, any advice that you'd give to somebody that's um, considering this, considering this for a loved one or for themselves? Yeah, I think, you know, educate yourself about what it is. So, you know, go to our website, cedarpsychiatry.com and see what we have posted there about CAP and ketamine. Understand that uh, it's not for everybody. It can be tremendously helpful. Uh, also understand, this is something I've said already on this podcast, but I'll say it again, I, that nothing will do the work for you. Mm -hmm. I, I love this medicine. I love what it can do to help people, to facilitate change. But ultimately, it's, uh, it's up to you to consistently apply the things that you learn to try to make the changes you want to make. Um, and one of those changes could be acceptance, right? Just changing the way that you view yourself instead of yeah. thinking that you need to change a bunch of things about the way that you think or the way that you feel or the way that you behave or the way that you look in order to, you know, quote unquote, be happy. So, yeah, I'd help people. I'd ask people to consider um educating themselves on the medicine, on the process, what it's for, what it's not for. Um, and then, uh, yeah, contact yeah. us if you're interested. Wonderful. One quick question, just because it's come up with a couple of different people. Is there an age range that this um, is best for? I've had people ask for like young adult children, that sort of a thing. And so yeah. I, I just wonder about that. So the medicine itself, ketamine is used uh, like on kids all the time. They, they use it on yeah. kids and the elderly as an anesthetic because it doesn't affect the respiratory system like some other anesthetics do. So, mm -hmm. you know, you take your kid into the hospital to get stitches. Sometimes they'll give them a little bit of ketamine. So yeah. the medicine itself, like we talked about before, is, is, is fairly safe. Yeah. But when we're using it for psychotherapy, we generally shy away from giving it to young children for child therapy in part because there hasn't been a lot of research on that. And because, uh, you know, the child's mind is very different than the adult's mind. And um, I don't know, I, I don't have enough experience. And like I said, there's not a lot of research on manipulating a child's mind with a medicine like that for the sake of therapy. So at Cedar, yeah. we don't treat anybody younger than, I, th I think it's either 14 or 16. It might be 14 um, okay. with, with ketamine-assisted therapy. Anybody under 18 uh, they can only get ketamine in the context of a private guided session. We have 
these ketamine suites at a lot of our locations where you can go in and have a private experience just sort of monitored by like a medical assistant or, or a PA. Uh, but then we have what we call private ketamine-assisted therapy, where you're you're uh, attended to by somebody like me for the duration of your experience. So that's we would only do it in that context. Um, and then for the elderly, typically we're just looking at uh, you know medical risks, potential medical risks, increases in right. blood pressure, things like that. But mm-hmm. other than that, no, we we use it for a variety of conditions uh, for a variety of ages. Okay. Okay, very helpful. So another question a lot of people have is, can I stay on my medications and do, ke- do ketamine? Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. The answer is, is yes to almost anything. If you, the first step is to get an appointment with one of our providers and be screened. So you'll, you know, they'll ask you all those questions to make sure. But um, yeah, you can keep taking your antidepressant. Um, if people are on stimulants for things like ADHD, we generally ask people to not take their stimulant the day of ketamine, just because uh, of the blood pressure, potential blood pressure risk. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's one of the things that's pretty cool because some of these other psychedelic medicines, uh, because they act on the same receptor sites, um, there's some interference when you take something like an SSRI and you're trying to do, say, psilocybin-assisted therapy. So Right. Do you see ketamine going away as these other psychedelics kind of make their way through research and into mainstream? No, I think it'll be part of the therapeutic menu, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, because it does do different things. Mm-hmm. The ketamine experience is 45 minutes to an hour. The psilocybin experience is three to six hours. Mm-hmm. The MDMA experience is eight to 10 hours. The LSD experience is 10 to 12 hours. Like, yeah. So there's, there's an accessibility and time commitment variable to consider. Um, and I think we're going to find with more clinical research that some medicines are better than others at treating certain conditions. So I don't see ketamine going away. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in fact, what I hope is that it will be FDA approved. So we don't know, we no longer have to use it off label. And so insurance companies will pay for it yeah. because as cheap as we try to make it, ketamine uh, treatment is kind of expensive because you got to pay out of pocket because most insurance companies don't pay for it. The one exception to that is there is an FDA approved version of ketamine called S-ketamine or Spravato, which is a nasal spray that you can come in and get treated with. We don't do Spravato assisted psychotherapy, however, so Mm -hmm. because that's not part of the FDA approved research protocol. So you would come into an office like ours, sit for two hours, um, administer the nasal spray and you do that, you know, once or twice a week for a while, and then move to, you know, once every other week in a month. And that's approved for the treatment of depression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sounds like steps would be contact Cedar psychiatry, mm-hmm. get screened and a treatment plan and treatment plan may include at Cedar psychiatry psychotherapy. It all, it might also include, keeping your same therapist or seeing another therapist outside of treatment and insurance and all of that. I mean, there's some things to kind of jump through. It sounds like. Right. Yep. That's, that's the, that would be the next steps. And then if you're just curious and want to learn more, um, I'm, I'm shamelessly plugging my podcast again. Like please do it. Please do it. We love doing the podcast. So if you just are curious and want to learn more, you can listen to, uh, we have about 40 episodes out so far. So listen to psychedelic therapy frontiers. Yeah, oh, and you can great. follow me on Instagram because therapists oh, yes. are on Instagram nowadays. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm just yeah, Dr. Steve Mayer on Instagram. Okay, awesome. 
All right, Steve. Well, thank you so much for taking time with me today. I really appreciate it. And you have a really tender place in my heart. Like really, you have made a big difference in my life. So I just appreciate you. you. Thank you, Michelle. Likewise. Wait, friends, don't go. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you leave me a good rating and spread the word? Tell a friend.